Welcome everyone to the Change Starts Here podcast. I'm your host, Dustin Odom. And in this week's episode, we welcome Dr. Andrew Houlihan, uh, who allows me to call him Drew after the first minute or two, which I appreciate because uh, I am more informal than most. But um, before I get into who Drew is or Dr. Houlihan is, I just want to share with you um, a text I just had with Muriel Summers. And if you don't know who Muriel Summers is, you should stop this episode and Google who Muriel Summers is. She's one of the most amazing school leaders I've ever come across and um, has built the premier leadership school, I think, in the world. And so I just said, hey, I'm I'm having an interview with Drew. Uh, and she goes, OMG, he is amazing. Drew embodies what true leadership is all about. He is a servant, trust and inspire leader. He sees the worth and potential in every student, teacher and administrator. And she just says he she she was blessed to have him and have him in her life. And so that's a that's high praise for for any person. But uh, as you listen to this interview, you'll understand why. So Drew started off as a teacher in at AB Combs of all places. And so the premier leadership school, I would say, in the world, then moved down to Texas. He went to New York for a bit, then moved to Texas and was an administrator either at the school and district level in Austin and then district level in Houston and then got called home to be a superintendent for one of the largest districts in North Carolina. And it's no surprise after you hear him speak why he's been tapped to be a leader so quickly so many different places. He's someone who strongly believes, I think it's the Peter Drucker quote that says, um, culture eats strategy for breakfast. And his main focus is culture. How do you build a culture that's focused on empowering students and letting them see their worth and potential? And uh, one of the things I appreciate as I do often with our guests is he's someone who doesn't just stay up at 30,000 uh, 30, foot view level. He's someone who says, you know, if you wanna build culture, here are steps. If you uh, are a new leader, we talk about this some, if you're a new leader and you're going into a new district or a new role, Here's things you should consider. Uh, today's episode is really practical. So if you're someone who believes uh, that you want culture matters more than anything, this is a great interview to listen to. And if you're someone who aspires to continue to grow in your career, this is a great interview to listen to. Uh, I really appreciate Drew. I hope that uh, this is one of the first of many more opportunities to talk to him because I really appreciate our conversation and I think you guys will all enjoy it. So as always, thanks for making time for this podcast. Thank you for uh, your support. Again, if you haven't subscribed, please subscribe. We need all the support we can get. Um, and please share this podcast with people you think it would be helpful, uh, especially during the summertime. So uh, thanks so much and enjoy this interview. I really enjoyed it too. Dr. Julian, thanks for making time to be here with us today. Absolutely. Thanks for the invitation to be here. I'm excited. Yeah. So as you know, our first question is the same for every guest. Who are you and what do you love about what you do? So my name is, uh, my formal name is Andrew Houlihan. I go by Drew. Feel free to, to use that in this if you want. Um, I'm the superintendent of Union County Public Schools in North Carolina, which is the sixth largest in the state of North Carolina. Um, married to Shannon, have been going on 18 years this coming July and have a rising sophomore and a rising freshman. So we are entering high school world full force uh, with sports and social life and school and all kinds of things and trying to figure out what happens uh, after, after high school. So um, that's just a little bit about me. Born and raised in North Carolina, was a North Carolina teaching fellow. I taught at AB Combs Leadership Magnet 
and then had the chance to kind of travel around the country, mostly because of graduate school or other opportunities and from from New York to Texas and then back to, to North Carolina. So I'm glad to be with you all today. And I would say this, my, my favorite part of my job um, is absolutely 100% uh, walking into schools and sitting with students and teachers and seeing on a daily basis what uh, what great teaching and learning opportunities are happening across all 53 of our schools. Uh, just today, I had the chance to go out to a, a where we have a summer school program, and we launched a mobile book bus to travel around to all of our our reading camps and our summer school sites, and have a great partnership with a nonprofit who donates books for children in order to ensure they have books at home during the summer months. And to see, you know, hundreds of kids uh, get the chance to go into this bus and to, to pick a couple of books out and just to see their excitement, that, that's why we do this work, right? That's, that's the most exciting part to me is seeing the, the love of learning that our kids have. That's awesome. I, uh, one quick question, just to piggyback off of what you're talking about is, you say you like going in school buildings. Well, as a superintendent, especially of the sixth largest district in North Carolina, I can only imagine the number of ways and directions you get pulled in. How often are you able to get in schools like you want to in the way that you want to visit schools? And how do you protect that time? Because I do think it's a good leadership quality to have if you're a super or a district official. Yeah, so um, I have a very type A personality. And one of the, the rules that I have is if it's on the calendar, that's when it gets done. Mm. Uh, and I, one, of the, one of my favorite books is called Leverage Leadership. And uh, in that book, it's written by Paul Bamberg Santoyo. In that book, you learn as a leader that part of your ability to protect time uh, and to protect culture is to have it embedded in your calendar. So uh, I'm a very structures and systems person. And so one of the things that was, you know, step one when I became superintendent in 2016 was to work through a system uh, with my admin and my cabinet staff to say uh, once a week, if at a minimum, if not more, I need to be in schools, I want to be in schools, and this time will be protected. Uh, mm. And my cabinet staff has access to my calendar. So um, they know kind of where I am and kind of what's going on. Yep. And my admin supports me by uh, we have a, an Excel spreadsheet and she goes through all 53 schools and we kind of rotate through. Um, and so that's really, you know, how I've been able to get it done. I would say I try to get into one to one to five schools every other week. Uh, and, you know, you're right. I mean, the, the job pulls you in a lot of different directions and a lot of different needs. But that is very important for for me to be visible. And I, I try to do that as much as I can. That's awesome. So uh, have you always been kind of a systems thinker from, you know, early 2000s when you started going into your career as educator, or is that something you've grown into over time? It's kind of always been the case. I probably attribute a lot of that to my upbringing yep. and kind of the, those similar kinds of systems and systemic thinking that my parents placed in me, uh, just the way that kind of life worked as a family was also very systems driven. And, uh, and that's kind of been the way as, as part of my personality and just the way I think through, you know, different aspects of leadership or of management. And um, it, it helps me be a, as efficient as I can be. That's awesome. Yeah. Th so this is not a leader in me podcast, any means, but 
because you have a unique start to your career with working at AB Combs and getting interviewed for Muriel, I'm curious, starting from when you started to today, what your educational leadership journey has looked like. And uh, you started to go down a path that I think we hit the pause button on, which was uh, your toughest interview was actually your first interview versus maybe ones that I would assume like working in HISD or working where you're at now in Union County. So could you tell us about that? Yeah, so um, I graduated from Elon University in 2001 and was going to, to go somewhere to be a teacher. And uh, my parents, who are big, big fans and advocates of the seven habits of highly effective people, uh, my dad is, was a superintendent. He worked for um, one of the, uh, Governor Jim Hunt when he was governor in the late 90s, then went to work on uh, work at the Council of Chief State School Officers. And so in D.C. And, and he called me. I'll never forget. He called me one day and when I in that spring and said, there is a school you really need to check out in Wake County called A.B. Combs. It's a kind of a, a repurposed school that had been low performing. They've hired Muriel Summers to kind of transform it. And it's going to be about leadership. I think it'd be right up your alley. So I applied and got called in for an interview. And I, re I remember Muriel called me. And she said, you need to prepare yourself for the longest day that you will have as a young professional and for the most difficult interview you will ever have. And I, you know, <laughs> I'm 22 years old. I'm like, what is this lady talking about? I just want to be a teacher. And so you walk in and you're greeted by kids right. at the door. Um, and the halls are, this is in the middle of, this is July, right? June. The halls are lined with children and you're escorted into the conference room and, and you begin with your normal administrative team and, and the assistant principal and the principal and teacher leaders. Um, and then we went and did a, a model teach. We went and talked with kids in a small group. Then I come back to the conference room and it's time for the children to interview you. And they grilled me. I mean, it was hours. And I think I was there maybe... 9, 9.30 in the morning. I think I left there probably close to four in the afternoon. <laughs> and I remember asking, like, why did you do that? And the answer is pretty simple, but pretty powerful. And what her response was, if the children in this building do not believe in you as a teacher or do not think that you would be a good fit here, we will not hire you. Mm. And that became probably the first time in my life that my, my whole educational leadership philosophy about public K-12 was about putting kids first and mm -hmm. being a student-centered leader, which I think people say that all the time, but your actions have to back that up. And that has stuck with me from day one. Um, and if you've never been to Combs, anyone listening or watching, you need to go check the school out because it has continued decades of success and uh, children who have just been highly successful and teachers as facilitators. So um, it was a great experience. And that's a, I know it's a long story to tell you that had four years at AB Combs. Um, we then I went to grad school at Columbia University in New York. So I went to work for a private consulting firm. Uh, was it doing grad school at Columbia at the same time? Uh, then we went to Austin, Texas, where I went to UT, Hook'em Horns, for, uh, for my doctoral program and uh, was in Austin ISD for three or four years and then uh, was scheduled to come back to North Carolina and got a call from the Houston superintendent 
and uh, came and interviewed and applied there for a principalship. And kind of we spent uh, from 2010 to 2016 in Houston, and which is where my wife is from also. Oh, and, wow, okay. uh, and then uh, really wanted to pursue the superintendency and, and came to Union County, which is near Charlotte. So it's been a, it's been a good journey. It's been a, a we're blessed to, to have had the journey. It's been tough at times, um, but we're we're very fortunate. So uh, when you so you go from teaching to kind of consulting to working on your doctorate and you're working in Austin ISD. What was that experience like? What were you, were you teaching? Were you assistant principal? Were you district office? What was your experience there? I was, a, I was in the district office. I uh, ended up being kind of like an assistant director for leadership development. Yep. My responsibility was to support the central office team that ran principal development, principal pipelines, assistant principal development, teacher leadership development. So really was a great fit for me because it was all about developing future leaders from within uh, in that school system. What, and again, I may be projecting some of my own experiences or some of my friends' experiences, but sometimes when you're, you're hired into a district at that level, uh, it can be tough to put your own vision in play because of old habits, uh, because there's lots of barriers, as you know. What were the challenges that you experienced and what advice do you have for folks who are listening who are thinking about going, you know, the district office or currently in district office as they're trying to lead and set their own vision for their team? Yeah, so a couple of things. One, um, one of the challenges I've had professionally is uh, answering the question that people have when they say, well, gosh, you haven't done this. You haven't been in this role. You haven't had this title. You're, you're really young, right? You know, how do you get past the credibility conversations to say, you're just this guy who's an assistant director over leadership development. You've only been a teacher. What are you going to teach me about leadership, right? Yep. I had the same situation when I was uh, kind of um, overseeing some of the, the Houston's lowest performing schools when I was uh, in a coaching supervisory role. You know, you've never been a, a, a you've never done school turnaround, yep. right? why should we listen to you? What, what advice would you have to give us? And I think one of the lessons I've learned in that and advice I give, especially to young leaders is experience matters without a doubt. Um, but one of the jobs you have as a district person is to listen, is to build relationships and to find ways in which your strengths can help, help whoever it is that you're trying to support. Too many, I think too many times we have central office individuals and leaders that think that um, schools exist for us. That is not the case in, in my perspective or in the case of Union County Public Schools. We're here to do nothing but serve and support our, our, our 53 schools and our staff. Um, so that, that is a lesson that I've learned that I try to say to folks who are coming into a district office. I personally, I don't care you've never done this job. Right. What I do care about is, are you the right fit for the job? And are you a, the kind of listener that we need and the kind of collaborator that will work across multiple departments, um, almost like project management to get to the end results that we're looking for yep. uh, and not operate in a, in a vacuum? We're I mean, the people that we've got some mutual friends and they they speak very highly of you and your leadership and your the team that you have that I know that you speak highly of as well. The 
um, you know, it's kind of an interesting question to ask a superintendent because it's tough to lean into uh, the, the, the challenges or the failures that you've had along the way. Because, you know, when you're superintendent, uh, even when you don't think you made a failure, everyone, there's all, there's tons of people to point them out to you every day. And so I'm not thinking about Union County per se. I'm thinking about, you know, whether it's in Austin or, or Houston before you got there, what, what missteps do you think that you had that you learned from that have made you a better leader today? Yeah, good question. That's a hard question. Um, just kind of reflecting back. I, I would say that um, one of the lessons that I learned both in, in Austin and Houston and even I would say during my early tenure in Union County, and um, this probably won't, won't surprise anyone, but the ability of leaders to recognize and understand differences in culture can be a game changer. And not assuming that, that a school district or a school as a principal is one way or the other um, and not prejudging that based on data or based on people you've talked to, you really have to immerse yourself in an environment for a, a quite a period of time to understand the fact that culture and climate will make or break you in any leadership position. And I think some of the missteps I made was making some assumptions along the way about certain individuals or about certain schools or about the district to say, you know, my mind's kind of made up already and it's very difficult to move yourself past that. And so one of the, the pieces of advice I would say is, um, we say this all the time in union, cult, culture trump strategy, right? And understanding that and taking the time to listen and learn and um, triangulate data, whether it's qualitative and quantitative, before you go down a decision-making process about something is just incredibly important. And I, I really had to learn that on the fly as a first-year principal. Uh, yep. You know, coming into a school, a Title I school, a great school, a music magnet that you kind of make assumptions about, but you really have no idea what it's like till you're in that seat. Well, I think, you know, one of the challenges is that You've, you've identified yourself as type A. I would say I'm fairly type A as well. Uh, my wife would probably say I'm extremely, but uh, I, when you get hired, you know, my background, as I shared with you earlier, working in turnaround schools, you're hired with a sense of urgency to get results for kids. Absolutely. And so I mean, that's the same mistakes I made early on. I was like, I am hired to help us do this and we got to go. And uh, we always talk about an organization effectiveness versus efficiency, right? And effectiveness is working with people. And I, I love people and I work with them well, I think, but like in that space, like I'm a principal, if I'm doing turnaround and HISD, if I'm just stepping into superintendent role, you were hired to go accomplish some things. And so how do you balance that? Like, how do you make sure that like you put a governor on yourself to figure out how do you're going to get to full speed? How do you find the time to get to full speed? Yeah, it's hard, right? It's hard. So uh, we talk all the, all the time about team, right? Team UCPS, that it, this is not about one individual. It's a collective effort. And, and I tell folks all the time, you know, one of the, the lessons I learned early in my career was go slow now to go fast later, yeah. right? And that is a very hard skill to navigate. And especially as a first-year principal, you're hired uh, for whatever school, and you you want to make change now, 
And to, to have some restraint where that is not uh, something you need to do immediately, unless it's a, something that's uh, illegal, immoral, unethical, and you have to do something about it. Right. But you've got to have people on your side and you've got to build a team that when you start to go down a change process, uh, you've got a group of core people that are going to be with you. Um, and so when we talk about Team UCPS, my, I would just say that, you know, my cabinet staff and when I was a principal or working in HISD uh, or in Austin, it was the team surrounding me in whatever department I was in, yep. placed a lot of value and importance on holding each other accountable and kind of sticking to the game plan, whatever that game plan would be, but really taking the time to to understand the long-term goal, but to strategically implement initiatives along the way and not ripping the Band-Aid off all at the same time for every single thing. Yep. So when you talk about culture Trump strategy, that's really refreshing for me to hear. Uh, what, what do you describe the culture being in your current district? Or what are the foundational pieces or the cornerstones of your, of your current culture? Yeah, so one of the things that I learned uh, and I shared with our principals back in 2016 was one of the appeals of, of Union County was this aspect of a culture of family and a culture uh, where um, we're going to support one another. And not every place is like that, right? Don't, now, don't get me wrong. We, we, all, we have 53 schools and all of our schools are competitive. They all want to be the best. But there's a collective understanding that the, the, the team is greater than the individual. Uh, and that we have a collective vision and a collective mission to make sure that all of our kids are successful. Uh, and it's kind of a culture of, of urgency, for sure, um, but also a culture of innovation where there is a lot of out-of-the-box thinking uh, and a lot of great ideas that are generated at the school and district level that we, our job in, in my seat is to try to figure out how to take those best practices and build them to scale uh, and, and to sustain them over time. Uh, and there's a number of different initiatives I can speak to, to to highlight that, but the culture here is one of excellence. We are a very high performing district historically, um, even though we are a very large diverse district. Um, it's a culture of, of pride. Uh, and, a, and a culture that's really all about investing in, in our staff, in our community, and in our kids. One bit of advice. So uh, our mutual friend, Chad Smith, who thinks the world of you, uh, was talking to me. We were talking about your use of Twitter, right? And uh, he, he may have said, you know, I, I went, I'm like, he goes, you got to go follow him on Twitter. So I go follow you on Twitter. I'm like, I think he posts or has a team that posts like a couple times a day. This is great. I go, what's the story behind it? And he actually said, I don't know if this is your words or wherever it came from, but um, this really resonated with me coming from the districts I've come from before, is you've got to tell your story or someone else will. Absolutely. And is that, is that your advice to him? Is that your advice to others? Because that's so powerful. Yeah, I've, I've said that multiple times to multiple people. You, I mean, it, the world of public education right now, by the way, that, that is me. I don't, there's no one in the district yeah. <laughs> that has access to my account. <laughs> but I will say our district account is phenomenal also. And I'm, I'm on Instagram and Twitter, uh, but I don't do Facebook. So, uh, but that's, but that's the deal, right? You have to understand that the, the age 
that we live in now, and especially with the access that kids have to social media um, and parents have, right? Generations have changed. And, you know, we historically have evidence to say that people move to Union County because of the school system, mm. right? Yep. Well, how are we telling the story of the school system <clears throat> or of our beliefs and initiatives and things happening? Because if we don't tell it, someone else will. And that's how schools and districts get a bad rep sometimes. They're not doing enough proactively to really tell the, about the great things happening. Uh, and so that's the goal. That's one of the goals I have is to educate, inform, and entertain, right? That's what social media is. And to make sure that we're building awareness uh, around uh, what UCPS is all about and, and why you should you should come. Well, one of the stories that should get out there was shared with me. Um, uh, I guess it's a gentleman that you would know. I'm probably going to slaughter his name. I'm going to feel terrible. But uh, Tommy Schmolzi, did I get that right? Uh, is another superintendent. Uh, he went to visit one or a few of your schools, I believe, at some point. Again, I don't know the yeah. full context of the story. What mattered to me was that a uh, person I trust told me he walked out and said, this is the most student-centered school I've ever seen or schools, whatever it was. Um, I don't know if you remember that or why you yep. think they would do that. Is that something you guys intentionally go after in your schools? So that's, um, he had visited three schools with his team that day, a high school, a middle school, and an elementary school. And whether it's leader in me or you're not leader in me, either way, I could care less. Right. The, 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 the kids in this district are the main thing. And the adults in this district understand that their, their reason for being with us is to make sure that all of our kids are successful. That's been part of the culture. And that's, that's been a, a growing part of the culture since I've been here that we're all very, very proud of. Um, I'll never forget, we had a, a recent lighthouse team named a middle school our first middle school lighthouse uh, school named. And I had the chance to talk to some people I know who maybe knows the site team that kind of did the visit. And uh, I said, give me one reason why this school was named a lighthouse team. And the uh, visitors were basically like, yeah, that's easy. The, the students in this building, that's why. <laughs> Is because this school is facilitated by adults, but it exists for these children and they know it and they own it and they own everything about the school. And I, you know, that's what we want all of our schools to be like for sure. That's awesome. I mean, again, I think uh, as you pointed out, as leader me or not, uh, it was the vibe that that gentleman got, which is pretty cool to hear, I would say, especially given uh, how you started your career in education and what you've tried to go after probably every year as an educator, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, on that, on that lighthouse piece, that's no small matter. We don't have a lot of lighthouse middle schools across the country. And I believe this may, I may be breaking news here, but I believe that there are more leader me lighthouse middle schools in North Carolina than anywhere else in the country. Um, I heard that. I think you're right. Yeah. <laughs> and so like, that's, that's really cool. I don't know what's in the water up there uh, besides it being beautiful, <laughs> but uh, that's impressive. And uh, I think th that only happens. People ask me all the time because I've, you know, worked with Franklin Covey for 10 years now and been to a lot of lighthouse schools across the country. Uh, I come from a data background where it was just like, we get results. I want to see academic performance. I want to see, you know, all the different measurements that you get pressure under. It's the first time in education where people ask, well, what's a lighthouse school? And just like the folks you talk to just said, it's about the kids. 
I always say it's a place, it's a school you walk into and you know, immediately as an educator, you want to work there and you want your kids to go there or your grandkids or your friends, kids or whoever, because it's just feels like home. And I don't know if that's what your goal is, but that's something that's really powerful. And I, I don't know if you describe that school as that. Absolutely. hundred percent. I think the only other thing I would add to it is uh, when it comes to, and this kind of ties back to the comments I made on culture, uh, schools, you know, when it comes to school improvement, I don't believe that a program is going to get you there. <laughs> it's going to be the people and the culture in your building, not the prevalence or the reliance on a program. Yep. And, and people say, use the words, you know, I'm a leader in mini school. We love this program. It's not a program. It's just the way we do school. That's what it's all about. And, that, and then I think that comes back to, you know, our lighthouse schools, which are just amazing. It's not, it's not being viewed or seen as a program, just the way we do business, right? Which is really what we want the culture to be in, in all of our schools. Yeah, well, before we get to our last four questions, I, I got a tweet uh, from 2019, which I'm sure anybody says 2019, that's like 30,000 tweets ago for you. Uh, <laughs> There, it was talking about, it was one that was penned and came back up. And so it was talking about, you know, a few leaderships, uh, it says a few leadership lessons I've learned along the way. One, be open to feedback. Two, listen to others. Three, really listen to others. Four, surround yourself with smart, ethical people. Five, own up to your mistakes and put a plan in motion to correct them. Six, kindness is king. Is there any context you can give us to that uh, in terms of why, those areas, why you repeated one. Uh, I'm just curious uh, on what advice you have for us. I, I just think, you know, that was a, a point in time. I don't remember the impetus for it, but listen, anytime that I can, I guess, give my opinion on leadership or, you know, imparts hopefully what some would view as some wisdom, you know, that, that post was intended to help others think through the way in which they lead. Hmm. And uh, people have used that tweet for me and against me. Um, but <laughs> I, I this is it, for you here, just so yeah, you know. <laughs> I appreciate it. I think it comes back to um, your actions have to back it up. Hmm. And uh, being a superintendent, you know, there's a lot that happens in the public domain and a lot that, that happens in the private domain. And that's just the way that business works, right? But I think, you know, especially for those going into the principal role, the assistant principal, those are really kind of just leadership lessons I had learned and, and leadership principles that I believe in. I have a, as you're talking, it made me think of uh, a conversation I recently had with a friend who is a deputy soup and was serving as interim superintendent and talking to her, you know, I was wondering like, do you want to apply for the superintendent job? And she said something that I, I found unique is if I were her, I'd want to go for the superintendent role. And she said, no, I want to be deputy super, superintendent so I can focus on the work. Um, and I get what she was saying because we had a long conversation about it. But as superintendent, I feel the people that I know who believe in you and have seen how you lead, I would say that they would think that you're fully in this work. So how, how are you able to balance both? And what I mean by that for folks who don't really understand the context I'm giving is so much of your job can be political in terms of working with the board, working with the community, all really important things. And so how do you make sure that you keep your pulse uh, on the actual work on a day-to-day -day basis, other than just visiting schools every other week? 
Yeah, again, for me, it, it comes back to the whole idea of, of putting structures and systems in place where on a weekly basis, uh, I'll, I'll go back to my, my Covey years, right, in terminology, those big rocks versus small rocks. Yep. Uh, you know, putting putting those things that are of absolute importance and priority have to happen, whether it's a meeting or a visit or whatever it might be, um, making sure that my calendar is used as a structure and mechanism to accomplish the big rocks, right? Yep. Um, but the other thing that I think is very difficult um, for leaders in public education is when to let go a little bit and when to um, when and how to create that space for you personally. So uh, one of the things that my, my board is excellent. They're, they're a phenomenal supportive board of mine, of, of our families. I wanna thank them very much. But they, you know, from when I was hired, one of the structures we put into place that they have adhered to um, is the weekends are, are for me and my family, right? Yep. Um, and, and they know uh, and they respect that. And that's not to say that we there aren't weekends where we do have communication or conversation. Absolutely. But I would say 99 percent of the time that doesn't happen because they want they know that 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 they want to give me that time and that I need that time. Um, but I also tell our, our principals that the work will always be there no matter what time you leave the office. And. Yeah. You know, I've worked for individuals that were, you better clock in here and you better stay until here. Yep. And if it doesn't matter if you're just surfing the internet and doing whatever, you're you're here during that time. Yep. And I, I can't stand that, right? I mean, <clears throat> I want results. I don't care when or how, well, I do care how you get it, yeah. but the expectation is going to stay. That It's not going to change. So you have to determine how to structure your time and how to manage your time in order to get the results that I'm looking for or that you're looking for. Yep. Uh, and so I tell our folks, listen, leave your school at 4.30 if you're dismissing at 2. Like, you're going to come back tomorrow and the same work's still going to be there. Yes. <laughs> you don't need to stay till 8 o'clock, you know? Yeah. Um, and I think that that's one of the things I've really tried to do um, is to learn another lesson from my parents that they taught me inadvertently, which was when you leave, try they, when you leave the office, try to leave the office at, at the office. Mm. And, and this job that's easier said than done, but that's something I strive to, to do on a pretty regular basis. Yeah. I think, I mean, my wife's the chief of staff for an inner city district here in St. Louis. And um, you know, what I've seen either through her or some of our friends who I respect the heck out of as teachers, principals, and district staff and district leaders is that uh, some of your best teachers are become accidental martyrs. They don't, they don't do it because they're trying to prove anything to you or anybody else. They just, they get so passionate about the work that their whole identity becomes the work. And so I'm just curious how you help people through recognizing you can give your all here, but then you also have to pause and give your all there. Um, yeah. What, what have you done? I mean, your dad gave you good advice, but what would you, what advice you have for folks who may not have had family that put instilled that in them? Well, the, yeah. And the, I, I use the word inadvertent advice because he, he was that guy and, you know, he, I never saw him. I mean, he was a superintendent and he, I mean, between meetings and after, after work things, he was gone all the time. And that was a lesson I learned. Like, I don't want to, that's why I told him, I don't want to be a superintendent when I like, <laughs> 
are you crazy? Um, and then, you know, things come full circle. So uh, I think it's, it's, it's one of those situations where um, we have a group of individuals that's, that both coach and supervise our principals. Yep. And I think that's one of the lessons I try to instill into them and that they hopefully instill in our principals and it trickles down, yep. which is that w- aspect of work-life balance is really important. And if superintendent, if I'm going to strive to do that, we all need to strive to do that, right? Yeah, um, that's great. So modeling it is key, exactly. right? That's great. So uh, it leads me into our, our final four questions, which are you know quick hitters for the most part. What habit or habits or disciplines do you use on a daily or weekly basis that help you be the best version of yourself? Um, I, well, I try to use a lot of the seven habits, but probably the one that comes up the most is put first things first. Mm-hmm. I think that comes back to the way that I've, just my personality and how my mind kind of systemically thinks through the week or, or the situation. Yep. So that's probably one of the, one of the strongest ones that I use. That's great. Do you have any daily routines or weekly routines that help you kind of get in the headspace? I mean, like you said, I, uh, I, I do like the fact that taking the weekends for your family, it seems to be a really good routine to be in the habit of. Is there anything else you do? Uh, I try to do something physically to be physically active every single day, especially from a cardio standpoint, which is to start my day either on a treadmill or a, an elliptical or something like that for at least 25 to 30 minutes, yep. uh, just to kind of make sure that the day is starting off well. And I take care of that because I know when I get home, I'm going to be tired and I'm not going to do that. Right. And so that's been something, especially when the pandemic hit and we found ourselves at home. And on Zoom for 20 hours a day, right, finding that space to do something to clear your head. And so I've, you know, starting my day like that is something that has been a huge priority for me. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, I, it's funny how uh, you, you would think is you've got your time. So when you're living at home with COVID, you can control your time a little bit more, but it felt more out of control to me. Uh, absolutely. Me too. For sure. Uh, so I think I know the answer to this, given an earlier answer you gave, but uh, we ask, you know, we want to figure out um, what books are people reading? And so is there a book or two that have really impacted your life either over time or recently that have made a huge difference to you? Yeah, over time, one of my favorite leadership books is uh, Greenleaf's uh, Servant Leadership. Um, that is one that was written in the late 70s, I believe, that I refer to and read often. Um, it's a if you've never seen it, it's a paperback, real thin, uh, but it's got some some very powerful leadership lessons about uh, distributive leadership, servant leadership, and uh, the reason why we we kind of lead in the ways that we do. The more um, recent book that I uh, have obtained and actually bought it for our our entire cabinet staff is Trust and Inspire. Um, and you know, not saying that because of, of Franklin Covey, but it's an excellent book. And I, you know, it's, um, it's one that's sitting right there over here on my, on my, uh, long table here in my office. Yeah. Obviously I think you and I are kind of biased in our own right, but what I will say, uh, we know it's funny, look, <laughs> I've got my own copy here, which is go. not, I don't keep next to me. My wife had actually had it. So we, uh, working at Franklin Covey, we had access to, you know, a launch opportunity where, uh, Stephen MR kind of came in and did an overview and, you know, I, I was skeptical going into it, given his last book was so good on trust. <laughs> I was like, what do we speed of trust? We've already got it. What is this? Right. And 
I will tell you this one knocked my socks off for lack of a better description because of just, he, he believes it. He lives it. He, um, that, that matters to me. And uh, he's just a, a really awesome communicator. So I'm curious how that goes for your team. Cause this book is one of my favorites as well. Yeah. We're currently doing kind of a book study amongst our team and just kind of now diving into it. But I think the whole, the whole premise and idea around leadership is, uh, you know, you're the most powerful organizations have a lot of things in common. And one of them is not necessarily an inspirational leader, but is a culture that has established that trust first and foremost. And I think that's uh, incredibly easy to do. I mean, it's easy to say, but incredibly difficult to do. Absolutely. Um, all right. Next question. Uh, when you're driving to work or maybe when you're on the treadmill, elliptical or walking or running around your neighborhood, what uh, type of music or what songs or artists are on your playlist? Oh, gosh, I was trying to pull it, pull it up. So I, I'm a big <laughs> I like all different kinds of music, right? Yes. Uh, whether it's country or, you know, rock or rap or whatever it might be. Um, but I think you know, one of my favorite things to do is to pull out a 90s playlist when I'm shooting basketball outside with my kids. And they're like, what song is this? And, you know, um, one of the I, I've always been a big fan of OAR and Dave Matthews band. Yes. And they just they hear this. Music, they're like, what are you listening to? And, you know, what is poker? All, and is it really right, that crazy of a game? Right. You know, po <laughs> that one. And then you've got, you know from Dave Matthews all on the watchtower and yeah. all kinds of diff different, you know, that was kind of the, the, in high school and college, that's kind of the, the music that I grew up listening and even at in early in my, and it's just kind of stuck with me, but I, I also go back to old school. Like, you know, I'm a, I love Frank Sinatra. Um, you know, so it's, it, I'm, I'm a pretty diverse when it comes to, to a music playlist, which makes for a pretty interesting road, road trip. Totally. I, I love it too. I, to your point, I try to make uh, playlists for my mood. So it could be all different types of music. I am curious just because, uh, I don't know, probably 13 years ago, my best buddy was my roommate here in St. Louis and he had some friends, Dave Matthews band was coming to perform at Bush stadium, which is a big deal. And he asked me, he's like, can my two buddies stay with us? I'm like, yeah, of course. He goes, before I could even ask, like, hey, who are they? What can they do? It's like, oh, and they're going to give us front row tickets to the Dave Matthews concert. So we go, and I'm thinking, how do you get these? They had seen 37 shows by that time. That was oh 2008, God. nine. They just like, I mean, again, I asked, like, did y'all work? What, what do we do here? Uh, but are you that kind of Dave Matthews person? Because I have a couple of friends no. that are like, I've gone to see him 10 times. I've seen him twice. Awesome concert. Would support everyone going to see them. But uh, no, I'm yeah. not. I'm not that far. No, and yeah. I, I actually, I can't tell you. Besides, maybe Dave, Dave Matthews and OAR, I can't tell you probably another group I've seen more than once. Right. That's good. Yep. But, um, but you know, again, living in living in Texas and and kind of going to some old, literally some, you know, old old kinds of amphitheaters and saloons and you know, the, the kind of the Austin life of music, um, you know, I, I can easily transverse from Dave Matthews band to Robert Earl Keane, like just yep. like that. Right. Yes. So, um, you know, diverse playlists for sure. That's awesome. So last question, uh, then I'll let you get back to your, your day. What, what's the best piece of leadership advice that you've come across, whether it was on social media that you saw 
it was out of a book you read, it was out of something you talked to, or just something that's been on your heart for a while that you think you just would love to share with people right now? So one of the favorite days that I get as superintendent is when we bring in uh, someone who's either currently in the system or, or coming from outside to say, congratulations, you're going to be the principal at XYZ school. And uh, had that chance last week to name a handful of principals that will be new principals for the coming year. And uh, one of the individuals uh, reminded me of a leadership lesson or advice I had given them several years ago. And this is something that I, I really would, would ask all aspiring leaders to do before you get your first job, right? which is to take a legal pad, whether it's yellow or white or whatever it is, right? Take a legal pad and at the very top, write your ultimate goal. Like when your career ends, who do you want to be and where do you want to be? What title, what role, what job is it? And then backwards map, right? This is a good lesson on begin with the end in mind backwards map where what steps you will take to get there understanding that when you're offered jobs this should be your roadmap and this gives you permission to say no yep because if it doesn't fit on your roadmap you don't want to go down that road and i've i did that when i was a very you know probably probably before I became a teacher and folded it up and kept it in, in a nightstand and, um, and still have it. And it's one of those deals where that, that becomes the kind of the filter by which you make decisions. Um, and, and I think that's something that a lot of, I see a lot of aspiring leaders just want a principalship. They just want this. They just can't wait to get here. That shouldn't be your goal your goal should be to make the decisions and make the moves in your career that make the most sense for you and put you in a position for your next step and your next step and your next step, right? Yep. So when you're a hungry young leader, you can be very quick to jump into something and realize, oh my gosh, I made the wrong choice. And then it's too late. Yeah. It's, it's interesting that you said that. So uh, my wife, trying to hire for executive teams at her district show cabinet level positions. And she was doing a reference call. And that was one of the uh, references that she had, which was this person is uh, uh, very uh, good, but they, they seem to jump quickly. And so that was not looked at as a positive, right? So, cause it didn't right. mean that they didn't have a true North. It felt like is what they were trying to describe. Exactly. Yep. So I appreciate that advice real quickly. I just want to leave you with this. Uh, obviously we know we have two friends that, uh, uh, think highly of you. And one of them has done thousands of seven habits trainings over a decade or so said one of his favorite seven habits trainings ever took place at Shiloh Valley. Is that the, is that the right yep. school when two schools were coming together and said, yep. uh, he goes, that was one of the most nerve wracking ones he ever had. And that ended up being one of the best ones he's ever had, which is cool Two. Uh, as I said earlier, what he respects most about you is that you always seem to, uh, you, he's always seeing you as students and kids uh, and listening to, and giving them voice and choice. And so I just want to encourage you, if people are watching, as you know, I mean, you're superintendent, so whether that's good or bad, but I also want you to hear the good. And the Thank other you. one, which really matters to me, 
is this gentleman and I'll let you figure out who it is. I've only given you two names so you can figure it out, but this is the best compliment that I would say I would want for myself. But he said he believes in you as a man and as a leader, which is a really cool combination. And so I uh, just wanted you to know that a superintendent, you don't often get to hear or pause to hear the good things. Cause it's all, all you're getting criticized all the time for making bold decisions. So just know that you are having an impact on people's lives. And I appreciate um, you allowing us to be a part of it. That's awesome. Thank you for, for sharing that with me. And I don't take those those compliments for granted, for sure. I'll, you know, it's few and far between some days, but yeah. <laughs> um, when I when I get them, I'll take them. But yeah, that's very flattered. Thank you. Yeah. Well, we appreciate you and keep doing this great work. And hopefully our paths will cross in person sooner rather than later. Awesome. Hope so. Thank you very much. All right. Thanks, man. Appreciate you. Please support us by subscribing to our YouTube channel, uh, podcast on Apple or Spotify, and help us celebrate the beautiful, messy work of shaping human potential.